Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's episode where you will learn about constructing connection, why relationships keep us young and make us happier. My first guest is Marta Zaraska. She is a science journalist published in the Washington Post, Scientific American, New Scientist, The Atlantic, Discover, and more. She is the author of Meat Hooked, the history and science of our two and a half million year obsession with meat and her newly released book, Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism and Kindness Can Help You Live to 100. Marta, thanks so much for joining me on the show. I am super excited to talk about this subject matter because I am a passionate crusader for such. Thank you so much for inviting me, Lisa. Oh, it is a pleasure. Let's, let's talk about what inspired you to write this book? So as you've mentioned before, I've been a science journalist for many, many years now, and I've been writing about psychology and nutrition and health in general for a very long time. And uh, I was also always interested in this myself uh, for my personal life. And um, once I became a mother, I became even more interested in keeping my family healthy and living long. And uh, I went the traditional way, meaning I started a little bit obsessing, maybe, especially when my daughter was small, about nutrition and uh, all vegetables and making sure everything was organic and uh, following all the news on diets and miracle foods and whatever kind of new type of berries I should be eating and feeding to my <laughs> child. And, uh, you know, we lived in in, uh, in Philadelphia at the time and um, there was a Whole Foods very close by. So I spent a lot of time there and a lot of money and uh, and. Uh, uh, and at the same time, you know, I was doing the research for my work and I was I started coming across more and more studies that were pointing in a very different direction. And uh, it made me curious. And so I started reading more and more and I ended up reading over 600 research papers and talking to dozens of scientists. And I did come to realize that this kind of soft drivers of longevity and health, such as exactly friendship, optimism, empathy, uh, kindness. Uh, are actually at least as important to health as diet and exercise, if not more important. So it's about what we are consuming mentally as well, not just what we're putting in our mouths, but put what we're putting in our minds and what we are putting out back to the world. Exactly, because it's not just about taking, but it's also a lot actually about giving to others and this kind of mental mental health and social health, you could say, uh, is uh, tremendously important for our 
not just mental function, but our physical functioning. When we talk about the coronavirus pandemic and how it has affected the world, I'm in the States, you're in France. We shared some some observations and our experiences prior to starting our conversation. And the book is very, very timely. And I do believe that there is a silver lining in our corona uh, experience. Do you agree? I certainly hope so. I'm trying to be optimistic. And um, and definitely, you know, if people now realize after going through this horrible pandemic, after going through all the lockdowns and so on, if they do realize how important it is for us to be connected, how we crave other people, you know, how we need hugs, you know, so suddenly we're forbidden to hug others and we realize how important those things are you know many people around around the world are now for the first time ever discovering their neighbors and meeting them and getting to know their names you know and feeling the spirit of community and these are extremely important and beautiful things and if this changes then you know there will be something good coming out of this I am amongst the hug deprived. You know, I have, I do have a family in my house. I'm hugged regularly by my partner, but I do feel the absence of that, that high touch environment that we lived in prior to all of this happening. You know, in France, we do the bees. So, yes. that, you know, everybody and you kiss total <laughs> strangers, which first when I moved here, it was so bizarre. You know, you meet a group of you meet your friend or neighbor on the, uh, on the street and the neighbor is with several other people among them, strange men. And you are supposed to kiss everybody, you know, including those strange men. So <laughs> it was very weird for me. And so, but now, you know, I haven't seen anybody, you know, do the bees for a very, very long time. So it's certainly weird. I wonder if it's going to change the French culture or not, I, I certainly hope that uh, certain hobbies like this hugging and, uh, you know, generally being more hands on, you know, with other people, that it will come back because uh, it's something that's physically important to us. Indeed. And, and, and because it has a chemical reaction in the brain, that is what that social connection is so important for. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what happens to us when we are in positive engagement with others. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we were talking about hugs here. So there are studies showing that when people are receiving more frequent hugs, uh, they are actually buffered against increased risk of upper respiratory infection, which, you know, makes you think about COVID again. And so <laughs> how it all the irony kind of exactly <laughs> like how ironic is that, you know, and generally when we hug others or we just touch them so we can be holding hands or just patting other person on the back, uh, we have we get a boost of social hormones such as for example oxytocin uh, this is the so-called love hormone that uh, makes us feel all warm and fuzzy but also uh, has very strictly physiological consequences for our body for example it can reduce pain reduce inflammation and even perhaps promote bone growth so these kind of things get activated and uh, we are physical creatures we are creatures of bodies and we evolve this way we're you know social apes when you look at other social apes like chimps, you know, they groom each other and they also get release of endorphins from that. And we are just the same, you know, it's, uh, we didn't go that far 
from the savanna. No, no, that's true. And, and when we talk about the, the modern epidemic uh, of loneliness, I think prior to uh, coronavirus, certainly loneliness is was a huge epidemic in the United States, and I'm sure in parts of Europe and most definitely in other parts of the world as well. Loneliness is bad for our health. Tell us about this. Oh, I mean, it's tremendously bad for our health. So, you know, think about the fact that lonely people have shorter telomeres. So telomeres are those protective caps at the ends of your chromosomes that are that take part in the aging process. Lonely people have a different cancer gene expression, which they make them more prone to uh, cancer progression, for example. Uh, lonely people uh, sleep worse. They uh, they also are basically more likely to die, even three times more likely to die than people who are not lonely. So, so this is really, really bad. And as you've mentioned yourself, even before coronavirus, uh, you know, in many countries of the West, we were not doing very well in terms of being connected. Yeah. And in, in, in my research and in my experience, that loneliness also uh, can be a driver to so many other destructive behaviors, you know, to, to depression, substance abuse, which can lead to early, early death. I mean, it does. But on the other hand, it's also important to realize that loneliness is a feeling that we've evolved in a very similar way to which we've evolved hunger. So it's a it's something it's a signal that something is not going right and that you should change it. So there is nothing really shameful per se in loneliness when you have to just realize it's a natural thing to feel when your social life is maybe not as good as it should. And But the, the problem here is also that loneliness causes us certain changes in behavior. So it makes us more, more likely to detect threats everywhere, everywhere around us, like social threats. So we, we perceive people as being less nice to us just because we are lonely. But uh, there are lots of tips how to overcome loneliness. I write about it in the book as well. And, uh, and But I think the first step is just realizing that it's natural, that loneliness evolved to help us uh, get back on track, basically. To do something about it, that it's the, yeah. it's the warning bell. L similar to depression, right? Depression unto itself is not toxic because it also signals that something in our lives is not working necessarily properly and, and can catalyze change. But when we don't deal with that signal, that's when we get into trouble. Yeah, exactly. You know, just, and, and hunger, right? Hunger is a signal that tells you, hey, you haven't had enough calories today. But of course, if you ignore it, you become anorexic and then all the things go downhill. Uh, control. You know, that's what pops into my mind. We're, we're trying to control our lives in so many ways when, when life seemingly is so out of control. And yet what your book, Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism and Kindness Can Help You Live to 100 really addresses our ways for us to fertilize and catalyze a more joyful life. Yes, you know, just generally more connected life. You know, I think that also in our chase for most perfect nutrition and the best exercise regi regime and the best exercise gadgets and apps and so on. We've really lost the big picture here that we are, well, I'll say it once again, social apes. And uh, we've evolved to be with others, that we've evolved to be in a community and connected. And, and these are the most important things for us, both for our mental health and physical health. And when we talk about the things that are within our control, like 
We can't really control the weather. We can't control government. We can't control the virus. But we, there are several factors within ourselves and in our immediate environments that we can really have uh, impact and sway upon. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to continue this fabulous conversation with my guest today, Marta Zaraska. We're talking about her newest book, Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism, and Kindness Can Help You Live to 100. To learn more about the book and Marta's work, please visit www.growingyoungthebook.com. On Twitter and Instagram, that handle is mzaraska. Here comes the pause. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Hang on just a second. Before we pause, let's talk about the holidays. For many of us, the holidays will look and be celebrated a little differently this season, but that doesn't mean we can't find innovative ways to be close. And that's why this year, I'm giving the gift of StoryWorth to my tribe. StoryWorth will inspire storytelling and memory-making for your loved ones. One of my bonus moms has been working on her StoryWorth for the past several months. Her weekly stories have allowed me to know her in a new way. StoryWorth offers a great way to stay in touch with family and helps bridge geographic distance by providing lively and inspiring discussion topics that are thought-provoking. Now more than ever, we need to find creative and secure ways to be connected when we can't always be near our loved ones. StoryWorth makes gift-giving hassle-free from the comfort and safety of your home. StoryWorth is one of the easiest and most creative ways to strengthen bonds with family, preserve memories, take a deep dive into family history, and create a precious keepsake. Purchase a StoryWorth subscription for someone you love, and each week, StoryWorth will email a meaningful question designed to elicit entertaining, surprising, and sometimes moving responses. For example, if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? After one year, StoryWorth will compile all stories, including photos, into a beautiful printed book that will be a treasure for generations to come that ships for free. Give your loved ones the gift of spending time together wherever you live with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to StoryWorth.com slash HH. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's StoryWorth.com slash HH for $10 off. Now here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. Welcome back. Before we rejoin the conversation, I think we can all agree that 2020 has been difficult and events have reshaped our world of work. Gaver Tully, a computer scientist and founder of the Tinkering School, says persistence and resilience only come from having been given the chance to work through difficult problems. Businesses around the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. If you're running a business like me, know that Indeed has got your back and is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world. With more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore, Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the right person you need to keep your business going. 
Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. With Indeed, there's no waiting for real results. According to Indeed data, more than 80% of employers get a list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job criteria the moment they post a sponsored job. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month, according to Comscore. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash HH. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash HH. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Now let's get back to it. And we are back talking about what it means to construct connection, why relationships keep us young and make us happier. Let's get back to the conversation with my guest, Marta Zaraska. So Marta, let's talk a little bit about what we can do to bolster our optimism, to activate more kindness, to become more engaged in our communities and with our families and friends. I mean, there are plenty of things you can do, and I, I write about them in the book, but some certain tips, for example, I, I really loved one coming from Japan, and they have this uh, idea they call the five house rule. And basically what it means that uh, you should know very well the neighbors on both sides of your house or apartment and in three houses in front of you. And uh, I find it really, you know, simple and beautiful. Uh, Japanese love simplicity and, uh, you know, just five house rule. And by know your neighbors, of course, I, I they mean really know them. So talk to them, know their names, know what's on their minds and um, have a relationship with them. Uh, so another thing would be, for example, to to foster your friendships. And um, by this, uh, I mean, spend more time with your friends. It may seem obvious, but we often forget to do it in our busy lives. And uh, science shows that we should be meeting with our friends at least once a week. That's quite a precise number if somebody likes numbers. And of course, the more the more the better also things like working on your personality traits that's another thing that quite surprised me uh, in this book, in the research I've done for this book, that um, personality is something that can be changed and uh, maybe not 100%, but can be changed quite substantially. And we can do it by working on it, basically, and by faking until you make it. Yeah. So if you want to become uh, more conscientious, you just have to do this little everyday small behaviors that are conscientious. For example, if you are right now sitting in front of a very messy desk, your thing could be to just tidy it up. And the more you do things like this, show up on time for a meeting or pay your bills when they arrive, the more you actually become conscientious. And conscientiousness is one of the best things you can do for your health, basically. You know, if it was in a pill, it would be basically a miracle drug. <laughs> and by conscientious, it's not only conscientious, conscientious towards the self, but paying attention, becoming very aware of the world around you and our own impact in it, I would think. Oh, yes. Like f things like 
you know, random kindness. So just the small, tiny acts of kindness that we can do in our everyday life. You know, if you are walking down your street and there is litter, litter, uh, just pick it up. Maybe not these days with coronavirus, but, you know, once <laughs> once all this craziness is over, uh, you know, let people in traffic uh, ahead of you open doors for others and buy coffee for someone. Just small, tiny little things, but they make life so much better. And they have biological consequences. I've done a kind of a quasi experiment of myself with collaboration with a lab in, in London, university lab, uh, where I was measuring my cortisol levels uh, three times per day for a week. And on certain days I was doing uh, random kindness uh, and on others I, I, I wasn't. And uh, the scientists measured my cortisol response uh, throughout the day and they discovered that on the days when I was engaged in kindness, my cortisol uh, levels were much, much healthier uh, than on the other days, irrespective of what was happening in, in my life, whether I had stressful days or not. And uh, and this is confirmed by actual real experiments with lots of people, not just one journalist. Uh, so, so kindness can have really amazing effects on our body. I love what you said about the, the, the lowering of cortisol levels. So when we are in the state of stress or high anxiety or worry, We've got this stress hormone cortisol, you know, moving through our body, right, which is stimulating us, you know, from the, the, the days of the caveman, right? A worry that the saber-toothed tiger is going to somehow harm us and it uh, helps us. Maybe you can give the biology of it, but it, it, it also has something to do with adrenaline, right? I mean, it's quite more complicated than just cortisol, adrenaline. There is actually, there is something called, it's very big mouthful here. It's called hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And this is a stress axis that's basically our fight or flight response. And uh, it's a cascade that happens throughout your body that starts in your brain uh, in places like thalamus, for example. Um, hypo uh, and then it goes through different glands and uh, rele uh, causes release of basically a soup of hormones, uh, which include cortisol and adrenaline, but there are lots of other ones as well. And uh, which then have all downhill health consequences on our immune system, on our uh, metabolism, on our cardiovascular health. And this hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis is what gets uh, basically calmed down uh, when we are either with other people or we are being kind, we are volunteering when we are uh, doing something um, for the society. So beautifully said. I mean, it really explains a very complicated response uh, very, very nicely. So the, the bottom line is, if we want to be healthier, we need to engage in these simple pleasures that have such a lasting effect upon us and also the domino effect, right? That, that, it, that, it, that it moves around us. It's contagious. Yes, it's an amazing thing about kindness, you know, and that uh, kindness spreads. There was this famous case in Canada in one of the drive-through to Tim Hortons, the famous, you know, Canadian. <laughs> yes. We're all obsessed about it. I'm Canadian. So, uh, so, so somebody paid for uh, a, the driver behind them uh, just as an act of kindness, and then people started doing it, and the chain was like over 200 drivers long, which is amazing. You know, so over 200 people paid. For 
for the next person in the line. So I've never seen broccoli eating spread that way, you know, it's just, uh, uh, it just doesn't act as uh, the same way. And uh, we just enjoy kindness. And that's why I also call the book Growing Young, because, you know, all these kind of things that help us become healthier, so kind of younger physically, are also the same ones that help us grow as people, become nicer, basically. I want to move on about our personal relationships because we're almost out of time. And in your research, you discovered something about living together and marriage and our health. Yes. So if you were to do just one single thing for your health longevity, that would be investing in your romantic relationship. That's unbelievably powerful effects on our bodies. So in research, actually, uh, having a happy marriage or happy committed relationship uh, is far more important to health than diet, exercise, or even smoking. And I'm not saying you should be smoking. Absolutely not. But, uh, you know, but just to compare the numbers that actually happy marriage is healthier than you than, than stopping smoking. So, uh, so, and of course I'm saying marriage here, but it's not really about the paper per se, but it is about commitment and the research shows, and there is lots of it that, uh, we have to have this kind of, uh, commitment to be together, uh, for better or for worse till death do us part. Uh, this is really key here. And what is it about the commitment? It's not the piece of paper, I don't believe. It's something else. Yes, it's the feel, feeling that there is someone else for you and that this person will be there, uh, even if things don't go the way you'd like to. And uh, of course, there is never a guarantee. But if you have this kind of commitment, and usually it comes with marriage when people, you know, in the, there is lots of your family and friends and you kind of commit in front of others to be there for each other. It adds somehow this sense of security that exactly calms this stress systems, I won't say the horrible name again, uh, that, <laughs> makes us, that makes us live longer. So the commitment is really, really important. I think it's also knowing that there is a witness, you know, that there is somebody there who's in it with us for the long haul that validates our experiences. Yeah, you know, as as purpose in life, for example, as well, you know, this is something, another thing that's very important for longevity, just having the reason for being or what the Japanese call the ikigai. Mm. We're about to close. And I just want to uh, have you circle back to why optimists live longer. What is it about this happyology? And what I mean by the happyology is not the annoying yellow smiley face, not the emojis, but this sort of outlook or perspective on life that contributes to a longer, more happy life. Yeah, so, you know, happiness can add you anywhere from four to 10 years of life. And this has been confirmed on, on various, various groups uh, from Catholic nuns to famous psychologists. When scientists analyzed their uh, autobiographies, they discovered that those who were the most optimistic lived on average 10 years longer than other ones. And even orangutans in the zoos, you know, our kind of cousins, they, the ones that have the most cheerful personalities, they also live 10 years on, longer. So this 10 years keeps coming up uh, in research. And um, it's once again, you know, this mixture of uh, stress response and social hormones and other hormones and cortisol and uh, immune system that all combined work to, to work together to, uh, to make 
optimism and happiness and this kind of just cheerful outlook uh, good for our health. And the good news is that we can work on this. We can improve our outlook. We can improve, like you said, aspects of our personality through the practice. Exactly. So, you know, you, you, there are lots of great books out there that also teach us how to become optimist, more optimistic, just basically by simple uh, cognitive uh, exercises and just changing the uh, patterns of our thoughts, uh, you know, just simple, small steps, a little bit like we do with exercise, you know, your exercise muscles, they become stronger, you exercise your optimism muscles, they also become stronger. Uh, it's been said, wherever you focus, your attention is where you find yourself. You know? Exactly. Marta, thank you for hanging out with me. My guest today has been Marta Zaraska. The book we're speaking about is Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism and Kindness Can Help You Live to 100. To learn more about Marta and her work and the book, please visit growingyoungthebook.com. On Twitter and Instagram, the handle is at mzaraska. Marta, thank you so much. Come back and hang out anytime. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, it's a pleasure. We're going to take a brief pause. We'll be right back. And that is a guarantee. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness. And follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about constructing connection, why relationships keep us young and make us happier. My next guests are Jen Bain and Trin Garitano. Jen Bain is a writer, editor, producer, and co-host of the podcast Friendshipping, a feel-good advice show about making friends. She holds a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism and lives in Chicago with her husband and dog. Trin Garitano is a writer, game developer, and the other half of the Friendshipping podcast. She has contributed to games like Asmati, Games Tabletop Role-Playing Game, 1001 Odysseys, and Victorian Dating Simulator. Max, gentlemen, sexy business. She lives with her partner, cats, and too many plants in Chicago. And the ladies are in the house. The book they've written is Friendshipping, the art of finding friends, being friends, and keeping friends. Welcome to the show, gals. Hey. Hey. Thank you for having us. Oh, it is a pleasure. First of all, this, this cross-generational things, like I believe that I'm probably old enough to be your, your mom or the cool aunt. And, and the reality of it is, is what we're really talking about is how valuable these connections that we make, especially in this climate that we're living in, this crazy nonsense world that we have right now. Oh, yeah, it's definitely a lot for sure. Yeah. So your podcast has been on the air. Friendshipping has been on the air for five years. You started the podcast. What drove you to want to be a female podcaster? <laughs> I'm saying that with tongue in cheek humor. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Um, so I myself am not a female podcaster. I am a non-binary woman. Um, and so Jen is is, uh, is a woman. And when we started this, we, what we wanted to do is, actually, I said what we wanted to do, but Jen actually approached me and said, you know, I really want to do a podcast about that's feminist, you know, that's, uh, and maybe that it's about friendship. And we had like these, these really like kind of vague ideas 
And we kind of pulled them together and we decided, you know what, let's just see what comes out of us. Let's let's start talking about feminism. Let's talk, start talking about friendship and then and then go from there. And uh, and it's kind of morphed into like a, a, an advice show. And what we do is we get we have listeners to send us in their questions about friendship over email and then we answer them. And it's just been a really fun way for us to talk every week and make sure that we talk every single week because we're recording this podcast. It's been a boon for our friendship. So it's, it is the anchor to your friend keeping. Yeah, it's definitely one of the anchors of our of our friendship. We have several, though, you know, like uh, we we write together. Um, writing the book together was like a, a big bonding thing for us. We have um, so many fandoms in common. Like we talk about video games and stuff. So this is this is just one thing that, you know, as adults, it's nice to have something scheduled every week that's social yeah. because it's not built into our lives as, as adults anymore. As a kid, you've recessed, you've got lunchtime and stuff like that. Um, so for us, it's podcasting once a week. So that's what we got. I love it. And then from the podcast, it developed into a book and talk a little bit about that transition process when you realize, hey, we've got something here. We've got something that taps into kind of a, a cultural pulse. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'd be happy to answer that. Yeah. So I don't know if we ever had a moment of we've got something here. Trin and I are still trying to find that moment because we're very critical of our work. But I will say that, you know, every week when we record our podcast, Trin and I sit down and we open a Google Doc and we try to put some notes together. We copy and paste the question from our listener. And we do our best to, uh, through the art of word vomit, to try to help <laughs> this person. And with when five years pass, that's a lot of Google Docs. You know, that's a lot of, that's a lot of words. And um, the Google Docs are very messy. They're just notes. There are thoughts. Sometimes they're in all caps. Sometimes they're swearing. Uh, but we kind of realized over time, like, there is, if, if this were really cleaned up and focused and edited well, there, there could be something here. There could be a book here. And um, so, yeah, those notes are now, are now the friendshiping book. Yeah, we cobbled together a Frankenstein of a book. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about it, too, because I think this is something that is very, very timely. Like a lot of us are living physically remote from our friends and our family and our connections tend to feel a little brittle right now. And you said something that I think really stuck with me about adult friendship, because like when you really think about the people in your lives and how many people will show up for you in a crisis, there are not many. And oh, yet, yeah. it's hard to really cultivate that as an adult. Oh, absolutely. I feel like, uh, you know, we've talked about this to plenty of adults, I suppose. And the common refrain often is that adults have like a handful of super close friends. Like nobody, not a ton of people. I'm sure there are people, but most people don't have hundreds of friends. Like your your Facebook friends are not like your friends. Like your friends are like your, your top five sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and maintaining those relationships can be difficult right now. Um, and we have so much to say about that. Um, I would even say like our first and number one thing about keeping in touch with your friends as an adult, especially in these times when we are all so busy just taking care of ourselves, is to weigh our interactions more heavily now than we would have pre-pandemic. Right. So the text conversation that I had with my buddy Savannah the other night, I mean, like, you know, it only took five minutes, but that's like the equivalent of like spending a weekend together now, you know, like I have to, I have to remind myself that when my friends take time out of their lives for me, that's a gift. And I need to relish that and, and really be thankful and grateful for that. I think you make a really good point that, that, that little bit of interaction that you're being thought of, or you're thinking of the other person right now might only be as good as it gets, but it's something oh, yeah. meaningful. 
Yeah. I mean, at least for the next while, you know, we, we try to think to the future because one of these days, this is all going to be over and yeah. we'll have new different problems to deal with, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so it's time to uh, take stake, take a reassessment of the way that we treat our social relationships and just make sure that they're still there when we can leave our houses again, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, nurturing it. So get, giving it a little, uh, t- the trickle of attention and love, you know, the care and feeding of a person. Oh, you know? totally. I, I use tons of plant metaphors because I'm a plant nerd. And one of the ways that I think about this is like, this is kind of the winter time. And we have to bring our friends inside the greenhouse for a little while. And we have to give them the extra care and attention that we that we wouldn't have had to watch those details if they were growing outside with the sunshine and the rain kind yeah. of thing. So you know, just right now, it's just we, there are little intricacies that we can handle and make our friendships easier and more close. Talk a little bit about the difficulty of making grown-up friends, because I, I, I have experienced this myself. I, I have made a, a move in in the recent period of time, and I have made some really nice friendships, but there were challenges, and I really can appreciate um, these challenges. Talk a little bit about your experience and the advice you would give to people who might be needing some new friends just about now. Yeah, oh, yeah definitely. Jen, do you want to hit it? Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. So, um, man, the first time I ever read the sentence, I don't know where I'm sure it was some on the internet, the sentence making friends as adult is hard. That was so validating to me. So that's kind of the thrust of our book really, because it is hard. It is hard. There are many obstacles in our way. Like, um, friendship is just not a priority. If you are, uh, a, a living, breathing person right now, you have so many responsibilities, uh, that involve, uh, maybe job, uh, maybe kids, maybe spouses, maybe uh, family members. Uh, I, I don't know, this is just off the top of my head. But like, if you if you put listed every single thing you worry about and every single responsibility, the list would be long uh, for, for basically everyone I know. And when you add making new friends to your list of responsibilities or list of pressures you put on yourself, um, that's difficult. That's hard to do. Like, like adult life is just not designed for making friends easily. You know, when we were in elementary school, we had recess and group projects and basically forced socialization for better or for worse for some people. Yes. <laughs> you know, not everyone likes to socialize in that way. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, it's just not easy as, as an adult. And um, one thing that we emphasize in the book is that try to examine try to examine what you think friendships have to look like, yeah. you know, like we're all given ideas uh, basically through TV and books and everyone's guilty of believing these of what a friendship has to look like. Like we have TV shows like Parks and Rec where uh, Anne and Leslie have the most beautiful, perfect, best friendship. But if you don't have a friendship like that, that's okay. You are not lacking in anything. Maybe you are not someone who needs or operates well with one single best friend. You know, the people you talk with at the dog park twice a week those are friends too the people you see at the coffee shop and exchange hellos with those are friends you know they're not going to be the people that you uh maybe uh know their parents names or their deep dark secrets or anything but that doesn't mean they're not friends yeah definitely i wanted to elaborate on on jen's point a little bit um when adults go out to make friends one of the things that we want people to think about before they even start the process is make sure that what you want is a friend because sometimes people think that you know what i'm not having very much fun right now i think i need friends and that's not that's not quite the the leap you need to make what you want is like a camp counselor who will give you like a list of activities and like teach you how to macrame you know what i'm saying (laughs) so like we 
And like, and maybe what you want is somebody to like kiss, like, I don't know, like make sure that you go through your mental list of what you want out of this friendship and what you can give. Um, Because if you want more than you're planning to put the work into, like if you're looking for fun or you're looking for good times, like is a, is a friend going to automatically give that to you? Probably not. So like maybe look somewhere else for that. But if what you want is to be mutually understood by somebody, uh, that's a friendship and we can work with that. I think you bring up a very good point. The different, the layers and complexities of friendship. Like I'm at a place in my life where it's like, hey, you know what? I really don't need to make another friend. But when I do connect with somebody with whom I've got that, you know, that simpatico where I don't yeah. need to talk to them every day. I mean, for me, that's a criteria. Like I absolutely do not want to talk to anybody every day, actually, even myself. <laughs> so you're you a know. cactus friend. Yeah, we have a term for that. A, t- yes. a text friend? A cactus friend. Oh, a cactus so you, friend. It's yet another plant metaphor because hilarious. I'm a That's right. Because you don't need a lot of watering or attention. No. You're, and if you if you get too much watering attention, like you'll you'll shrivel up a little bit. But then then there's orchid friends who need like misting and like special watering and stuff. But like they're very rewarding and they give you blooms and such. So like you are so valid. <laughs> like don't worry, you're not the yeah. only cactus. Yeah. Thank friend. you. I'm. You know what? I'm going to use that. I am a cactus friend. Like I need a little water. I'm very hardy. You know, like long and strong. I'll be there for the long haul. But and I have 30 year friendships where like we might not see each other for a year or two and then we get together and we pick up the conversation exactly where we left off on the last visit. It's it's amazing. Jen definitely has that. She's got a bunch of um of child. I don't have a ton of childhood friends. Jen is the childhood friend haver. And man, Jen, can you talk a little bit about about Nadia or is that a little much? Oh, yeah. No, I'd be happy to. Yeah, yeah. I have. um I, I don't not, I don't really keep in touch with people from high school or middle school or elementary school with two exceptions. And they have been my friends since uh, fourth grade. And, I, you know, there was periods where we didn't talk much because we lived far away or we went to different schools. But just like you said, um, when, when you when you reunite, it's easy. And now, and now we talk every day. We have a group text that's honestly getting me through the pandemic. Yeah. Let's take a break. And when we come back, let's talk about those group texts and those little touch points that fill our souls during this crazy time that we're living in. We're going to go to break. We'll be right back. And that's a promise to learn more about the work of Jen Bain and Trin Garitano and their book, Friendshipping, the Art of Finding Friends, Being Friends and Keeping Friends, as well as the podcast of the same name. Please go to friendshippingbook.com. And on Twitter, there is a boatload. There are a boatload of handles, but I'll give you a few. There is at do friendship at Jen dangerous and at Trin and tonic. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? Eight keys to unlocking a joyful life. A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and harvestinghappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more.
we are back talking about the power of connection, the why and the how of relationships. They keep us young. They make us happier. Let's get back to the conversation with my guests, Jen Bain and Trin Garitano. Ladies, let's go back to the types of friends that there are, because I feel so much better about myself now that I know I'm a cactus friend. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, like, and let's talk a little bit about the cactus friend thing, because man, you keep on saying that you feel bad about it. You shouldn't. It's cool. It's good to have boundaries. It's good to know yourself. It's so good to share how best to love you with your friends. And if you say to your friends, like, hey, I'm a cactus. You know that, right? Like that's, that's a really wonderful thing. So like, don't, don't ever feel bad about it. And I am an orchid, you know, like I need, I, I'm a person who needs the constant misting, you know, and I, (laughs) and I accept that, you know, and like, and I tell my friends that too, like I, you know, sometimes I need a little extra and, and, and that's, that's how we do. So what we have here is a list of different friendship dynamics to explore. And honestly, the first one I'm going to guess just because your, your podcast is called Harvesting Happiness. And so I would guess that your audience is like very like this. The first friendship dynamic is the fairy squad mother is what we call them. The fairy squad mother, brother slash other. So somebody who is the group planner, who is very extroverted, who loves their friends so much and wants to wrap them up in a big hug and make sure that they're they're hanging out at an event together. And that's the kind of person who may overextend themselves and who may need to learn to st- set some boundaries and say, like, actually, I'm a cactus friend or actually I've, I've yes. done all the planning of Zoom calls for the past while. Um, and so so we talk in the book a lot about how to change your friendship dynamics to something that is better for you. So I feel like you're a fairy squad mother. I am. Lisa. I am <laughs> yeah. a fairy squad mother, closeted cactus friend. Totally. You can, you can be both. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally be both. We contain multitudes. Of course. You know? <laughs> it's like the love languages. You know, we all have several. We do. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Then the next step is the literal opposite of me, which is the party pal. That's the that's the friend that like is a ton of fun and you meet up for drinks or you go out to concerts with and but they're not necessarily the person that you go to when you need serious advice. Yeah. And that's the kind of dynamic that if you want to, that can be grown. And if you don't want to and if you just want to have fun with each other, hey, that's also totally valid. I imagine party pals are having a rough time right now. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, God. yeah. Big um, time. My my number one party pal. I just like she's she's one of the most quarantined people that I know right now because she's so uh, loving and giving and empathetic. And I swear, like if she doesn't go to a restaurant soon with her a bunch of her friends, she's gonna shrivel up. So we're all just like keeping track of her. Yeah, <laughs> poor thing. Um, no, I feel for her. Oh, totally. I and that's the other thing. This is so off topic, but like let's let's explore this tangent. Why, why not? Man, this whole shelter in place. Like I do feel for extroverts. I really do. And like anybody who's extroverted and loves partying and is like staying home, I have all of the respect in the world for you. So I'm just gonna send my love. <laughs> yeah, because that cannot be easy. It's not sheltering a place is not easy on a single person, especially not people yeah. that really thrive in crowds and groups. And yeah, the the theater kids. I hope you're doing okay, theater kids. Oh man, Jen, what a good trip. Transition because the next one is uh, is fandom friend, which is actually how Jen and I started out being friends. Is we met because uh, we at a convention. She recognized um, I had cosplay on, which for anybody who's uninitiated into to nerd stuff, cosplay is just a, a, a costume that you wear that looks like a character from um, a, a piece of fiction that you really enjoy. And Jen saw it right away. Jen, do you want to talk about that moment? Oh yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, uh, Trina, Trin was kind of having a conversation with a couple other people, and I was sort of on the edge of the group, and I didn't want to interrupt because I didn't know the people, although they were extremely friendly. But anyway, I like made eye contact with Trin, and I pointed to your to the the what you were wearing and I was I think I gave a thumbs up where I said like you did nice. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it was I mean and we returned to that convention not for a long time obviously but we have been to the convention a couple times since and I remember one time being like Trin this is the spot where we met the top of this escalator yeah. oh my gosh I remember that now like you did bring it out sweet romantic friendship moment totally platonic totally in love <laughs> at the top of the McCormick place uh escalator it's so yeah. beautiful that's a terrible place, too. It's not great. It's not a yeah. fun place to go. <laughs> Lisa, do you want me to keep going? We got three more. Yes, of course I want you to keep going. I want to, I want to like get to the bottom of the list and then I circle back with a question that I have. Oh, gosh. I, I'm so excited for the question. But the next is the ensemble cast, which this is Jen. Jen brought this up. Uh, I remember when we were writing the book and I love the concept of this. So these are the friends in the group that you're not super tight with, but you're still glad they're around. Like you require a glue friend between you and that person. So you maybe have a very tight mutual friend um, sort of thing. So but you're not personally super, super close. Um, and those don't have to be intimate revealing friendships. You can have somebody in your ensemble cast that is totally okay. But also if you're looking for new friendships, like that's a really great place to start is those people who are kind of on the fringes of your, of your closest friend group. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, and then, um, man, so this, this one is, is similar to the fairy squad mother, but not quite. So this is the unpaid intern. Yeah. <laughs> The fairy squad mother has like a level of like respect and control sort of thing. And the unpaid intern, I feel like everyone's been the unpaid intern every now and again. You know, friends lend their time. If friends help each other, we we ask for help. Asking for help is a really great thing to do in a friendship because, again, telling your friends how to love you is so useful and so important. However, if you're running around getting coffee for everybody and, and somebody's not paying you, uh, that, that's, that's not okay. So the unpaid intern, if you see somebody in your life who's like always assisting you and you haven't been reciprocating maybe maybe look into that friendship and consider that person could be a really close friend of yours if you just kind of mend that little problem um and then we have the last one the last one is the younger sibling and older sibling dynamic. And this one can be really tricky because whenever there is an age differential in a friendship, um, that is uh, often a barrier because we automatically kind of look up to people who are a bit older than us. So the younger sibling, older sibling friendship can be wonderful because, you know, sometimes people want more brothers and sisters or better ones than the ones they have. So th that can be really great. But you have to just keep an eye and make sure that you're not overly giving it advice or overly acting like a child sort of thing. Um, yeah. So th those are all the dynamics that we, that, that we list. And when you see those in your friendships, you know, take an assessment, make sure that you're comfortable with the way things are going and make adjustments to make yourself feel better within that dynamic. During the break, we talked about firing friends, being in yeah. a situation where you realize the relationship is really N not serving either one of you or the dynamic is so toxic that you make the very grown up decision to end the relationship. And both of you spoke about doing that in your lives. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about that, because the flip side of all of this friendshiping and connection is the realization that because we are people who change and evolve, that sometimes we need to change our friends. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, there's this, uh, a third of the book dedicated to handling toxic friendships and extracting yourself and taking care of yourself. And all the advice we give in that part of the book is definitely advice I wish I had taken. <laughs> so, right. uh, yeah, like, because it's, it's much easier said than done. So we always say a part of the book is like, learn from our mistakes. But I also don't want to understate how hard it is to leave a toxic friendship. It is one of the hardest things you will do. There's a lot of attention given to romantic breakups, not a lot of attention in the world given to how painful friendship breakups can be. Oh, absolutely. And it's there's so much more intricate because we have we have steps again, like Jen said, we, we talk about romantic relationships a lot because those are those are intimate relationships that are actually explored in media. So like we know that there's like a first date or getting to second base or whatever with with friends or, or breaking up or just like, you know, parting ways. But with friendships, you know, it's just it's just not as thoroughly explored in the media that we consume. Um, and, and what we say in the book a lot is, you know, you can you can ask for an apology. You can start the conversation with uh, without hoping that you'll break up. You know, like we can start this with, hey, I wanted to talk to you about your behavior lately, or, hey, I need some things to change. Those conversations can happen first. And I, I mean, I've seen it in my own life. Sometimes it just works. And sometimes it just really doesn't. Mm. And you do have to have that conversation that's like, you know what? Maybe it, maybe it goes, I love you so much, but you hurt me so much that we can't really talk anymore. Or maybe it goes, I think we both know that this is unhealthy. Um, there are so many, many reasons why you might part way with a friend. And here's the, here's the craziest part about this. Excuse me. I don't like to say the word crazy. Here's the wildest part about this. You can ghost. You, you can, can just, ghost. You can just leave. If somebody's hurting you that much, you don't have to be polite to them. You can ghost. <laughs> yeah, people People have really strong reactions to this piece of advice, uh, but I totally stand by it. If you are being hurt repeatedly over and over again, if you are being emotionally abused and manipulated, you can just leave. You can leave without being polite. You can leave without explanation. Um, you can do what you need to do to extract yourself. We are giving people permission to remove themselves from a harmful situation. Absolutely. And, you know, we started with like talking about like asking for forgiveness and like, how do you mend this? And we always advocate for going through all those steps. But you know, when somebody's in your life and hurting you and when they are there, they don't deserve to be there anymore. Yeah. Shoo, shoo. Shoo, shoo, shoo. Bye-bye. Shoo, bye. You're gone. It's interesting. I have, as I mentioned, I recently had done this and I realized that I was getting nothing out of the friendship except a lot of grief, you know, showing up when, when, when asked. Um, But, you know, when you're dealing with some, uh, there were a lot of outside circumstances in this particular dynamic. um, But then I got good at sort of diagnosing this dynamic and I'm not allowing it ever to happen again. It's, it's, it, it's a fascinating lesson. It raises emotional intelligence when we practice this stuff, which was really where I wanted to, you know, kind of end the conversation is these skills, they apply to every relationship that we have. Yeah, we definitely have found, we've actually answered questions on the show about people's romantic relationships. We've answered questions on the show about people's uh, brothers and sisters. I think we actually had a question about someone's mom before, (laughs) because in a way, like no matter what other relationship you may have with a person, if somebody's close in your life and you welcome them into your life, that is also a layer of friendship. Um, So yeah, we 
totally agree. We would love to be like, this book is universally applicable to every single situation, <laughs> which it probably isn't. But like, it is widely applicable, especially if you take it into terms of knowing yourself, knowing what you want out of your friendships. It just makes your life so much easier in all of those different venues, your friendships, your family and your romantic relationship. And your professional life. You know, like not getting yourself sucked into a dynamic where there is not some reciprocity because every relationship, whether it's professional, personal, romantic, there are there is a flow of back and forth that needs to occur in order for it to actually be a relationship. Oh, absolutely. And we have a whole section on work friends because that is so complicated. Yeah. It's like um, one of the things that I was saying in the book is um, when I went to, to Christian youth camp in high school, what they used to say was, uh, hey, kids, leave room for Jesus. So like <laughs> if you if there's a boy and a girl sitting next to each other, have an entire body's worth of, you know, between you two. And in workplace relationships, Jesus is capitalism. You have to leave room for capitalism. <laughs> you know, this is it, great. It's, it, it's one of those things where that dynamic is going to be there, you know, like if you have a workplace friend and they get promoted above you, that's rough, you know, but Jen and I worked together and, and here we still stand. Yes, <laughs> it's doable. It's certainly doable. It just has, you know, it has some some considerations in pod you trust. <laughs> oh, you know, really cute. Oh, no, Lisa. <laughs> you know, it's, it, you know, leave room for the Holy Spirit. It's not even just Jesus. Just leave room for the Holy Spirit. Oh man, my, um, I, this is so funny, but like the, we, I'm from a deeply Catholic family and like, I really feel that I really feel the Holy Spirit thing. And I don't like identify as, as Christian or Catholic, but the concept of there being like something that is a spirit of goodwill that just wants you to like, you know, thrive is such a beautiful concept. I agree. I'm a Jewish woman and I agree with you. I mean, maybe that is the, the hope and optimism and faith that I have in society at large, eventually, maybe, hopefully, and certainly yeah. in, in the relationships that we have to be a space holder for that goodness. And I think that's what attracts me to conversations like this, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, same, <laughs> you know, like, Jen and I have spent our whole lives analyzing how best to be kind to people and how best to relate to people and how best to take care of people who are close to us. Um, and that's, that's, that's the whole thing, you know, that that's the Holy Spirit coming in and being like, hey, guys, <laughs> hang out, why don't you be friends? <laughs> and that's not G word. There's no G word in there. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. like, if you don't want the G word in there. Don't worry about it. You want the G word? Throw exactly. It, in. <laughs> it goes, it goes, it goes always. Wow. Well, to learn more about the type of friend that you are and the types of friends that you have or you want to have, I encourage everyone to buy the book, Friendshipping Book. You can do so at friendshippingbook.com. Again, the full title of the book is Friendshipping, the Art of Finding Friends, Being Friends and Keeping Friends. I urge you to listen to the podcast as well, wherever you get your podcasts. My guests today have been the co-authors. Jen Bain and Trin Garitano. You can find them on Twitter at Do Friendship, Jen Dangerous, and at Trin and Tonic. Ladies, thanks a million for hanging out with me. Thanks for being my friend, even if it's just for this visit. Oh, right. yeah. Thank you for having us. And we, what we say is friendships can be um, of a situation and temporary and doesn't mean that they are not meaningful. And this conversation has been so meaningful. Thank you, Lisa, for having us on. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Harvesting Happiness. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen, and on behalf of my guests, Marta Zaraska, Jen Bain, and Trin Garitano, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, 
Happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU and is available on PRX, the Public Radio Exchange.